pray, and, uh, and then I'll go over some announcements with you. Lord, we thank you for the worship we've had so far, the singing, um, the fellowship, just getting our hearts in that right place to receive everything you have for us in your word. So we pray that you do that. Be our teacher and our God, guide and, our, and, and speak, Lord. That's, that's what we desire. We want to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple announcements this, uh, um, this Saturday coming up is going to be our men's breakfast. Please join us for that. That'll be at 7 a.m. Um, Tracy Barnes, don't leave before I talk to you. <laughs> that reminds me. I mean, I left a message, but I, I, I think you don't do text, do you? Oh, probably the wrong number then. All right. Well, guess what I'm asking about? Guess what I'm asking about for Saturday? Okay. <laughs> but I have a subject matter for you that I'd like you to cover. All right. We'll do that later instead of from here to you here. Um, so that's coming up. And uh, let's see, what else is coming up? This Oh, we have baptism coming up. Um, if you uh, have received Christ as your Lord and Savior and you haven't ever been water baptized, this is our, our last open water anyway for the year. We'll... We'll, we'll do that out at Mazingo Beach uh, on the 17th, I believe it is, or 18th, there it is, there it is. And then what else is going on, Aaron, that I, I didn't write down and I should have? Today's potluck, yep, that's right, after second service, come back, burgers and hot dogs. Sign-up sheet, four meals for Harry and Samantha Bartlett's new baby, what's his name? Zane, I think. Is it Zane? It's a great name, right? I wish it, yeah, Zane. So that's, that's there, they'd like meals and... Um, um, they'd appreciate that as they get used to having that new baby in the house. So that's out there. All right. Psalm 63. David is again in the wilderness running for his life, but boy, he's found that joy. And I think that was good that we sang that song this morning in the sense that joy is not happiness. There's a difference between the two. Um, you can be happy and joyful, but you can also be in a tough spot and still have the joy of the Lord. And David has that. He is on the run he is uh, concerned about his own well-being. He's got enemies all around him, but he, he speaks of the joy and the hope that he has in the Lord. Um, and that is a true relationship with God. That's what the world desperately needs. He, the world doesn't need any more people out there saying, when, when things are great, I love God. And when things are bad, I'm mad at him, you know, kind of thing. Uh, the world's got plenty of those. What, what the world doesn't have and doesn't get to see as often are Christians that are, are joyful and hopeful in the Lord um, all the time. Um, regardless of the situation, the circumstances that they're involved in. And David is such a great example of that. In verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David thirsts for God. He writes a song about it, and he lets everybody know that that's his desire. When he's thirsty, he doesn't go after the world. He doesn't go after the things the world has to offer. The world has lots of things to offer us to quench our thirst, but it's always going to cause us to be thirsty again. Um, in the encounter with the woman at the well, as Jesus confronts her about her life and the condition of her relationship with God, it was all superficial. The, the conversation was, uh, it starts off with a cup of water, you know, but it ends up talking and reaching the, the, the innermost part of this woman who had come to the well at a different time of day other than when the other women came because she was an adulterer. She was known for it. That's who she was. The whole town knew it. Every guy knew it. And so as Jesus waits there by the well while the disciples go into town to grab some food and supplies or um, whatever, they had separated themselves from Christ. He stays at the well and this woman comes out. 
And um, he starts the conversation with her and asks her for a drink of water. And well, she's used to guys starting conversations with her. And so she doesn't know who he is. And she begins to flirt back with him, thinking that that's what's happening here. Because that's her modus operandi. That's what she does. But she discovers quickly that Jesus is talking more about the more more about spiritual things than about the actual water that he's asking her for a drink, and um, she realizes that. So she says, "Oh, we're going to talk about spiritual things." So she gives out her spiritual knowledge. You know, uh, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about where we're supposed to worship. You know, you Christians, and and I, I know that's not what she says, but that's the argument we get with people today. Well, you Christians say this and that, and then then you say this and that. Which is it? Trying to get us confused so that we're not so focused on the person we're talking to anymore. And so she says, you know, where are we supposed to worship? Down there or up here? Our fathers say up here. You Jews say down there. Which is it? He goes, I'm telling you, it's not going to matter in a few, you know, in a while. God's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And uh, he says, "Where's where's your husband? You know. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, no, you're right. You don't have a husband, but you've had six. You've had six. And that's a big thing. And so he moves then to, I want to offer you water that you'll never thirst from again. If I give you a drink of water from my well, from, the, from my source, from me, you'll never thirst again, implying that these men you keep going from, these bad news men, one after another, is you trying to get a drink to satisfy something in your soul, and it's not working. I'm trying to offer you something that will satisfy you forever and to take care of that. I bring that up because we, as Christians, hopefully have found that well, and that's where we go to. We go to Jesus to get our drink. We go to, when we have a, a need or an ache in our heart, we, we don't go to the world to satisfy that thirst or that hunger. We go to the Lord, and we let Him satisfy that so that we're truly quenched. The thirst is quenched. So many aren't doing that. And we have an example of a man of God in the Old Testament before he even knew who the Messiah's name was, just knew there was a Messiah coming and hoping in that Messiah, but didn't know the name of Jesus, says, when I am down and out, when I'm I'm thirsty and I can sense that I need that, I, I seek the Lord in the sanctuary. That's where I go. This isn't something new, you know. I have a, um, we do a lot of counseling. We help a lot of people and we do our best to give them guidance as they ask for it and um, steer them in the direction that they should go. But, but eventually they've got to walk in that direction. You can't make them. You've got to choose that. See, the woman at the well, uh, the conversation ends pretty abruptly and she runs into town to grab everybody, to tell everybody about this guy that knew everything about her. Come meet the man. Now, I like to teach that in the sense that she got saved or she got, you know, touched by Jesus, and now she wants to bring other people to Jesus, and that's usually how we teach that, maybe. Or maybe she just got so convicted, she's like, come come meet the soothsayer, you know? Come meet the guy. And, of course, all the guys that maybe had a relationship with this woman, you know? I, I, I struggle with a, a lot of... Um, in our day and age, one of the biggest problems we have is people don't want to get out of the sorrow. They don't want to be released from the pain. They don't want to, they don't want to be saved from it. It's become their identity as to who they are. I'm the, I'm the thirsty one. 
I'm always thirsty. We should have a drink of Jesus. I know I should, but I'm still thirsty, and I want more. I'm thirsty. Post, you know, selfie, me the thirsty one kind of thing. It's like, do you want to be delivered? Do you want your thirst quenched, or does that become who you are? And if you lost that, you'd be nobody, and so that's who you are. I'm the thirsty one. That's what I'm known for. That is not Christianity. It's not what God wants. That is not what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free, um, to set us free from our bondage, to release us from these things, to give us ways out, not to be the ones that are always there and always in that place. I don't know why Jesus works for me and he doesn't work for you. I say that tongue in cheek. You know, his word says this. And if you obey his word, it says this will happen. And if you go down this road, these things will take place in your life. These are all promises of God. We sang songs about the promises of God. But then people say, I've done all that and nothing. Well, I don't know why Jesus works for me and he doesn't work for you. It's a struggle. There is supposed to be unspeakable joy in Christianity. There is supposed to be this beautiful walk and this cry out to God, I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, but I know where to go. I'm going to seek for him in the sanctuary because I, I love your power and I love your glory. I love to see those things. Because he has in the past. He's come to this well often. He knows where to go. It's, it's home to him. He maintains his walk with the Lord. God wants to solve our problems. He doesn't want to pat us on the back in them. He wants to be a deliverer. He wants to be a savior. And we need to let him. I think that was the problem with the guy who was clear up at the top of the pool of Siloam. Would not, well, when the angel stirs the water, uh, by the time I get down there, someone's already got in there before me. And Jesus says, that's not what I asked. I asked, do you want to be made well? Well, yeah, I guess. Well, then take up your bed and walk. Let's just skip the water here. Let's just go take your bed and walk. And he was healed. And I wonder if he was disappointed. I don't, I don't know how to read that. Any other, he said, oh, man, you know, now I got to go to work. <laughs> you know, I don't get to lay and ask for alms anymore. Now I've got to go get a job because I'm able and I'm capable And I'm not known as that guy who always tries, but never quite makes it to the water, you know. Man, we've got to get past that. Most of us have. But I never want that to be the case in my life where it becomes who I am. This problem, this sin, this bondage, this chain that I have. It's it's not. I've, I've come to be set free. And he does that. And for me to say that he doesn't do that is to call him a liar and his word doesn't work and that it's not true and it's a philosophy that's failed me kind of thing. It's a scary place to be, I think. It needs to be a scary place to be. Verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, David prefers his loving kindness. It's better than life. My lips shall praise you. He is in the wilderness running for his life, but his lips will praise God. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. 
My soul shall be satisfied with the morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips in the wilderness while I'm running away from my life with enemies all around me. This is David's cry. This is normal. This is a normal relationship with God right here. It's normal. He also writes in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's just something that was built into him and wants the world to sing those same songs. Jesus desperately wants us to have this relationship with him all the time, not sometimes. David has that. It's a beautiful example of joy in difficulty. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you've been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Sometimes I wonder if I'm crazy sometimes because that's as soon as I close my eyes at night, that's all I think about is the Lord. I mean, you go through the things of the day, but it's always I'm going through the things of the day with the Lord, you know, kind of thing. And I'm talking to him about it all the time. And I'm like, I don't, and I assume everybody does that who's a Christian. I think everybody does that in my mind. I don't know that you do or not, but I do. And so when I read this about David, I remember you on my bed. Yep. I meditate, you, meditate on you in the night watches, uh, filling up cattle tanks. Now, it's a thing I do now. I didn't have to do before I had cattle. I almost got killed by a bull yesterday, just so you know. I think you need to know that. See the scratches on my leg down here? That was me hopping over a barbed wire fence into a rose thorn bush with some crazy cow because I had to feed cattle and do cattle tanks. That doesn't have to do with anything here. But when I'm filling the cattle tanks, there's time. And so I meditate on the Lord during those moments of waiting. Because if I leave this, I will leave the well on and it will drain itself. And okay, farm problems, right? So I take these times and I meditate on them. And then that's, that's my night watch, you know? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and I'm looking at the sun go down and I'm looking at these kettles. Just I've got three calves that just stare at me while I'm watching this hose fill up because for whatever reason. I'm just enjoying that. And I thank him, God, for, the, for these three calves in front of me and for the space and the ability to have cattle tanks. And I, you just go through those things. I hope you do that. If you don't, I encourage you to do it, to take those times. There's busyness, and then there's those pauses where you're still working, but you have to pause to meditate on the Lord during those times. It helps. It straightens things out. It Gives you direction. That's the time you need to think to let God get you. That's what David's doing. He says, I remember you on my bed. I meditate you, meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Did it in the past, you'll do it now. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I'll rejoice. I feel safe under your protection. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. David never wanted to be very far from the Lord. There are times in his life when he was, but he knew that, and he got back as close as he could to the Lord. Right behind him, in his dust, in the dust of Jesus' feet, that's a great place to be. But those who seek my life to destroy it, that's what's going on in the background here, shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him or by God shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies, they'll be stopped. 
David reminds himself of that. That's part of that meditation. There may be difficult things. There may be enemies. There may be things going on, but David remembers his enemies. He remembers what God has done in the past for him. And he says, I know where their end is. I know where they're going to be. And I know what God will do. I rejoice in God. I swear by God. I glory in the Lord. In the mouth of those who don't, that are speaking lies, well, they'll be stopped. He doesn't have to worry about his reputation. He doesn't have to worry about the lies that are spread about him. He just continues to be the king that he's called to be. Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words. That they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. That's what they do. David can't do anything about what they do. Here's what I do, he says in verses 1 and 2. I hear the Lord. I ask God for help. I pray that he hides me from their secret plots. I can't do anything about people having secret plots. I don't do anything about people coming after me, trying to kill me. But I can do this. I can meditate on the Lord. I can preserve my life from the fear of my enemy by waiting on God and trusting in him. He's going to tell us why here in verse 5. They're going to do what they do. They're going to conspire. They're going to have secret plots. They're going to have bitter words, and they're going to shoot them. That's going to happen. Verse 5, they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? Who's going to see the snares? We've hidden them really well. They devise iniquities. And there's what they say. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. God knows all of that is what David's saying. They can have all their secrets, but God's in the room. While they're plotting, while they're planning, this is what we're going to do. Throughout the Old Testament, there are times when the kings of the enemies of Israel um, would plot their plans and make their schemes. It's a wonderful section of Scripture. And, and, uh, and of course, God is there listening, and he just listens, and then he walks over here and tells his prophet, and his prophet tells the king of Israel, here's, what's, here's what they're doing over here. And they, and they work it out, and, and the king on the enemy's side is like, how do they know this is happening? How do they avoid our snares every time? What is happening? We've got a, a traitor in the midst. And so they're so busy trying to figure out who the mole is, they don't realize that, no, it's God doing it. And David can trust in that. I like the fact that if I'm supposed to know about a shrewd plan, God will tell me about a shrewd plan. It'll come to, its, to the surface. But if I don't know about the shrewd plan, I don't have to know. He's already handled it. Some of these things he just handles quietly. Some things he brings to the surface and does it publicly to teach a lesson. But other times it's a private thing. It's just a quiet thing that he takes care of. Either way, David says, I trust the Lord. He says, they may be shooting arrows at me, but verse 7, but God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded, so he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright in heart Show glory. These are promises that we can hold on to today. 
This is a level of trust that we can do now in our walk with the Lord. That's our heart. That's what we want. David has that, but it's not, it doesn't need to be exclusive to him. No. There are lots of rumor mills out there, but you don't have to worry about those rumor mills if you trust in the Lord. God will take care of those things and does. And, and you can glory in that. You can, you can rejoice and it builds strength and builds your relationship with him. Psalm 65. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. little prophecy there that he sneaks in, you know. We know that there are sacrifices going on at this time, animal sacrifices. That's all they really know about. They, they know that from Exodus, the, the lamb that... Um, keeps the angel of death away. And then, and of course, in the wilderness, they're given the tabernacle and all the Levitical laws and how they're supposed to, and what they're supposed to do for their sins and all that. That's all taking place. But David goes way beyond this in this psalm. He doesn't talk about goats and bulls and all that, and he never does. He always says, I know you don't really care about the blood of bulls and goats, that you're going to send a Messiah. And here he does it again. Praise is awaiting you. We need to be able to say that in our lives. God, when you come into my presence, praise is waiting for you. Not a complaint. And I don't know, and I don't want to be careful about this because as a pastor, I do want you to take your problems to the Lord. I do want you to um, pour your heart out to God and, and leave your burdens at the altar. All those things are true. But don't let it just be that with the Lord. When, when God comes into your prayer closet or wherever it is that you pray and whatever, whenever you're drawing near to God, make sure that there's a lot of praise there also for him because he's worthy. Not a lot of what have you done for me lately kind of thing or, or you know, you didn't take care of this thing. I'm mad at you, you know. There needs to be a lot of praise. David, if anybody could complain, it would be him. His own son is out to seek his life. Absalom's trying to usurp his authority and take David off the throne, even though God hasn't done so. And, and, and you talk about problems, you know. We've had wayward kids maybe in our lives before, but never anybody that probably wanted to take our life, you know, and would be better off if I was dead in their mind. Well, that's where David is, but he has praises waiting for the God of Zion. And I will perform my vows. I'm still going to serve you with all my heart. My service to you, God, is not conditional. My love for you, my praise for you, my worship for you is not conditional on how well you've performed for me in my life. You're worthy of praise because of who you are. Paul had a, had a relationship with God that was, I don't know that any of us have it. I think I attempt. I just pray that God would never follow through. And here's what I mean. David would, or Paul would say, if I thought it would help Zion, and this is a loose paraphrase, forgive me, but if I thought it would help my people, I wish I was accursed instead of him. And, and, and Moses says the same thing, that both those men had relationship with God and understood who he was so much so that send me to hell. I know I deserve it. I know that's where I belong. But if it would help, send me to hell instead of them kind of thing. Talk about an unconditional love and respect of authority and who God was. These men had it. 
I want to have that. I want to praise him at night as well as in the day, in good times as well as bad times. The vows, go through those vows that you gave to your wife or to your husband at the altar if you've been there. You know, Go through those vows with God. I will love you in sickness. I will love you in health. I will love you when I'm rich. I will love you when I'm poor, God. Those are the vows David's talking about. I'll love you all the time. You will provide atonement for all my transgressions. Verse 4. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that you may dwell in or that he may dwell in your courts. Uh, we shall be satisfied with our with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. And the fact that God chose us is a is a is a wonderful um it's assurance, you know. Um and, and it's, it's almost impossible to read that without having to hit on Calvinism, and I wish I didn't have to even cover it. But you do, because this is a proof text or whatever that they use. And, um, I even hate to bring it up, because the beauty of the text is simply this. David is saying, I know you chose me. And he did. Literally sent the prophet to his house, poured the oil on his head, and said, you're going to be the anointed king. Truly did that. But we make it more than that. David is blessed to be that chosen one that God has picked, you know. But everybody that's a believer in Jesus Christ is chosen, and you need to know that and understand that. The fact that you believed and trusted in God is just proof of that. The ministry of salvation and the the love of Christ is for all men. And every man has a choice. What David is talking about here is God's ability to have foresight. And to know. And he chose those who would choose him. But still doesn't leave us without a choice. Verse 5. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us. O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You who... Uh, still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. And I'm going to stop there because there's a lot of use that I want to hit on here in the next section. But this this section's really incredible. And I, I'm going to take a pause here. I have um, a, a struggle often with talking about public school versus homeschooling and so on, because I understand that there's a balance and there's all that. But I just want you to understand what you're up against here. And here's what I mean. Verse 6 says, Who established the mountains by his strength. Scripture teaches us that God is our creator. Genesis is very clear on how God created the earth, how he created everything. That it was seven days, seven literal days. 24-hour periods. It's, it's spoken of, and it's very clear. I mean, in the Hebrew, it's very clear. It isn't to be argued. It doesn't have to be debated. Christianity believes that God created the heavens and the earth, that God created us, that we didn't spawn or we didn't evolve. He teaches us that. Now, here's my struggle. For an hour on Sunday mornings, 
sometimes tops, maybe a Wednesday evening if the kids come. They hear this. They hear what the Lord teaches about creation. But for eight hours a day from kindergarten to their senior year in high school and then on through college, they're taught that what they learned on Sunday and Wednesday was mythology. And the truth is that we were we evolved. And that's in every classroom. So I'm not saying, I'm not advocating necessarily. I, I mean, I'm a strong proponent of homeschooling because of this reason. But you're asking your kids to disregard that, that God said, and, dis, and, and believe what, what they're learning on, for one hour, you know, and disregard that. I mean, it's constant. I don't know if you'd realize, what, once you focus on it, you don't realize how it's in absolutely every book. It's in every subject. It can be in a story problem in, in math. It's there. And they're being told week after week, year after year, that what you're learning in church is mythology. Now, it isn't that strong of a leap or far of a leap to go from, well, then if that's mythology, what else is mythology? You know, what else is there? It's a very difficult thing. You have to be very careful. It can be offensive. But when our Sunday school teachers and our Saturday and our Wednesday school teachers, what they're up against is trying to teach truth, and you're trying to teach it at home. Um, Some can prevail, some can get past it, some do make it, but most still have a worldview as opposed to a biblical worldview when it comes to these things at the end of their education, unfortunately. So when we read something like this in Psalm 65, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noises of the sea, we're talking about a God here that can bypass and suspend laws of nature. He can go beyond that. He's not bound by them. Imagine when Jesus was on the boat going across the Sea of Galilee. We know the story, and the wind and the waves came up against him because there was such a a difficulty to, to get to the other side because of the ministry that would take place against the demonic, uh, demon-possessed men over in, their, over in the uh, cemetery there. And they come out after them, but there's wind and waves. This battle was taking place, and Jesus said, peace, be still, and it did, you know. And that's why the disciples said at that time, who is this man? Because they've just read in verse 7, they've known these psalms. Who can still the noise of the sea and the noise of their waves? Only God can do that. I don't know if that was the first time they realized they were in the presence of God come in the flesh or not. Strong statement. David understood that back then, taught that. There was no other ideas, no other thoughts on the matter um, as far as the Hebrews were concerned. 
Now these you statements. David makes it clear that you are the one that does all these things. And so he says, you, 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 you. Now that's for his sake as it is to bring glory to God. You make the outgoings of the morning and the evening rejoice. You're the one that brings the sunrises and the sunsets. That's the, the beauty that you see. I can't stop taking pictures of these sunsets that I keep seeing. I know everybody's seeing them. This is ridiculous. Look at this sunset. You know, I know I was there. <laughs> it happens at my house too. It's like, no, I don't know. It's prettier here than any other place in the earth, you know. It's just, they, they just look like sherbet ice cream. Every time I look up, I'm like, this is incredible. Everybody, come on out. Like, Dad, we know. You know, hey, 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 come out on the deck and look at this one. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah, great. I got to go do the dishes. Okay. You make the outgoings of the morning and the evening rejoice. God does that. You visit the earth and water it. God does that. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness. You do a beautiful thing there. You do all of this, God. We know that you make it grow. You're the one that brings the abundance. You're the one that brings the grain. It's a beautiful thing. And your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. Now, when I read this, I've been through storms and so have you. We've got tornadoes and you've got hurricanes and you've got too much rain. You've got too little rain. You've got droughts. There's a lot of things that happen as far as weather's concerned. But when David writes about it, this is where he is, you know, in his walk. This is what he sees. God, you're amazing. You do all these things just perfectly, you know. Farmers, uh, just crop farmers, you know, I mean, there's no other farmer. Just, it's hard to sit there. I mean, I, it, you're powerless over the amount of water your crops are going to get. You just are. I mean, you do everything you can do. You buy the kind of seeds that are appropriate for your soil and maybe for your geographic location. You do everything you can do. And that's amazing that we can even do that. You know? um, but when it rains, you're just, you know, hey, it's either going to rain or it's not. There's nothing I can do about it. We can complain. We can drink coffee all day long and fuss about how there's no rain. Oh, we need rain. We need rain. But it's pretty rare from the time I've grown up in the Midwest, pretty rare and few and far between are years where you didn't get anything from it. Like it didn't grow. You know? It came just in time or it was a little late, but by the time the harvest came, it was negligible, the difference between you know, last year and this year. There isn't that big of a difference. There are, there are times, I understand, there are, there are droughts that just wipe us out. There are floodings that absolutely... And there are winds that can, you know, straight line winds that can not. I know that that happens occasionally, but for the most part, you know. And those rough times really help us to appreciate when it just goes everything like it's supposed to. It's like, oh, this has just been great. What a perfect thing, you know. And that's what David's writing about. David has been running from Saul, gets to be king for a little bit, and then he's running from Absalom. You talk about someone that just had a lot of storms in his life and a lot of difficulties. 
But when he writes a psalm, this is what he writes about. God, you're just, you do everything perfectly. Perfectly like Absalom? I mean, I'm the guy with my hand raised saying, David, I think you're forgetting a few of the stories I just read about you. You know? No, David is focused. He says, those are moments. Those are um, anecdotes in my life. They don't define me. They don't define what God's done for me. These are just things that have happened. These are part of my history, unfortunately. But for the most part, in, in the grand scheme, in God's overall plan, you do everything perfectly, Lord. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. And so David says, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? As part of his creation, why shouldn't I? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, the promises that you've given us. David's just, he's not just a, has a cheery disposition. We've read some of his Psalms, Lord, where it, it was not so cheery. It was dark times in his life. But when he gets a handle on things, when he gets his eyes on you, when he understands the circumstances shouldn't dictate the position of his heart, he writes these beautiful psalms that are accurate and are beautiful and are worshipful towards you. And we want to be in that place. We don't want these things to move us. The, the things and the circumstances of life to move us. We want to be even, steadfast. We're joyful. We're joyful when it's hard. We're, we're joyful when it's easy. We're, we're joyful because of what you've done and because the hope we have in you, God. We want to be overcomers. We want to have victory. How else can we share the gospel, Lord, unless we're experiencing this in our lives? How can we tell people about good news if it's only sometimes? God, we want it to be all the time with us. And so, Lord, when dark times come and when trials come upon us, Lord, help us to remember these things and to go to these verses to sing these songs, to be filled with joy, to lift our hands in praise because you're worthy, not because of the circumstance, because of who you are. That's a gospel that the world desperately needs to hear. How to stay even. How not to be tossed to and fro by the waves of life. So Lord, help us to hear that this morning, to apply it to our lives, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.